where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. The podcast where the life-changing stuff happens. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Comedian, Animator, Gentleman Thief. And today's theme is witchcraft and wizardry. Merlin the Wizard was inspired by legendary Welsh bard Merdin but his name was changed to make it sound a little bit less like the French word for shit, which is, of course, merde. Sorry, my parents are both good French speakers. They won't like that one bit in terms of my accent, not the word. Since 1998, the city of Christchurch in New Zealand has paid a British man £8,000 a year to be their official wizard. The fake snow in The Wizard of Oz was made of asbestos, as was the Scarecrow's entire costume. Simpler times. And when he enlisted, Tolkien's son Michael put down his father's profession as wizard. You got me in your ears. Yes, but my picture looks really... Oh, I've stopped flickering. Good. That's today's guest, Alistair Beckett King. The last Englishwoman tried for witchcraft was convicted in 1944. That witchy conviction happened after either of my parents were born. Not that it was connected to that. I keep talking about my parents today, don't I? They must be on my mind. And a new study shows that dogs find an audiobook of The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe more relaxing and sleep-inducing than classical music. I might try that. Jeff likes a bit of bark piano. Doesn't mind if he does, but we're going to give that a go, I reckon. <laughs> I, th- I forgot to plug my microphone in and obviously plugging it in during that little uh, welcome to Zoom moment. Alistair Beckett-King is a self-described comedian, animator, gentleman thief. Lester Mercury Comedian of the Year 2017, Alistair has appeared on the BBC's Mock the Week, BBC Radio 4 Extra, and has performed his stand-up at Glastonbury, the Edinburgh Fringe, and several international comedy festivals. He's currently on tour, and you can see his truly brilliant content on YouTube. It really is fantastic. Um, There are links to it in the show notes, and it's quite hard to describe it. His film school pedigree definitely pays off, and there's a reason a lot of it goes viral. So check that out. And as if that's not enough, he's also recently written his debut children's book, Montgomery Bonbon, Murder at the Museum. Alistair and I talked about being ginger, going grey, film school, cross-stitch, absurdism, animation, bullying, creativity, TikTok, algorithms and silent discos. But we started by talking about me finding him in his natural habitat as he was when we recorded this. I live here. I don't know why I said that so defensively. Um, (laughs) I'm allowed to be here. It's my house. It's my flat. It looks quite coordinated with your overall complexion and (laughs) beautiful (laughs) colouring. For the benefit of any listeners who can't see me, it's a a, a gnarly Victorian garret with sloping ceilings, (laughs) low ceilings, creaky old wonky floors. 
There isn't a there isn't a right angle in the entire flat. No, there isn't. It's like um, what's he called? Lemony 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 Snicket. Yeah, Lemony Snicket. There you go. Yeah, Lemony we got Snicket. Tim Burton's builder in to just do. Can you just make everything <laughs> all crooked, please? <laughs> Not sure you meant to mention Tim Burton. Now he used to be my um, sort of poster boy for me, saying, "Oh, that's how everyone should live in adjoining houses with your partner and all loosey goosey." And then we all found out he was behaving quite badly didn't we so well I, I don't know I saw him I just saw him at a garden party with David Cameron and wrote him off at that moment so I, I don't I don't think I found out about whatever you're referring to because I thought uh, if you hit a scone near David Cameron you're out as far as I'm concerned <laughs> yeah one could extrapolate he probably would uh, stay for a drink with Katie Hopkins had she been there and that's, <laughs> that is a tableau that nobody wants in their mind no What's some what's on the wall behind you? What are those? What are the pictures um, so, behind you? So that's a window. Yeah, um, got that. Got we, that. We use got that for that. Uh, for looking for light. Out. Yeah, um, and that, there is it is a cross stitch of a squirrel, and uh, and a tribute to Kara Starbuck Thrace from the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, which I, which which uh, pictures that belong to my partner Rachel. Okay, um, I want to know the story behind the cross stitch. Did someone cross stitch? I think that? I think it's a gift from her sister. I think her sister cross stitched the squirrel. I'm not sure which sister. I got bang into cross stitch during lockdown. You yeah, were producing some of your best content, and I was producing very <laughs> poor cross stitch that looked much like a, a, a primary school child who'd just been taught to hold a needle. I like I like cross stitch because it's like um, I played video games in the in the 80s and 90s where they were all like chunky pixels and like cross stitch or um we what's it called would you do it on a loom what's that uh weaving. weaving weaving yeah it's kind of like it looks a lot like pixels so it looks like i want to see sort of super mario jumping over one of those plants from super mario brothers if you became in a cross stitch <laughs> Well, if you became a weaver, I'm thinking it wouldn't surprise us as much as some comedians becoming a weaver. <laughs> if you put a loom no, in the, your hand, we'd go, yeah, I'd yeah, buy yeah. that. The segue into weaving is just its just natural <laughs> at some point for me. You're a hop and a skip off weaving, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I imagine um, all listeners know what you look like. But let's start with the important stuff, your looks. Yes. Um, so I like and looks. Looks are important. They t they say that they're not, Kelly, <laughs> but look, looks are important in our in our world. We didn't get um, where we are without being ginger. I can yeah, tell exactly. you that for nothing. Being ginger and extremely attractive. Those are the, the skills that we brought to the table. With similar beards. Exactly. Exa almost identical. Mm. Some people get confused. This is why we never get put on back to back in a gig because people think, oh, the audience will be confused. Exactly. It's a wonder we're here in the same. We're not in the same room, obviously. We're not, this is all, no. It's your wizardry that's enabling it to look like we both <laughs> exist. So, um, but in this interview, effectively with myself, um, I did, I will ask you some more erudite searching questions about the content of what you do. But just to start with the important stuff, what are you going to do when you go white or grey? Yeah, I've been looking forward. I always, I always wanted the... The, um, the Doc Brown shock of white hair. I, I've been quite since childhood. I've been quite looking forward to to that look, and it's it's happening. A, a couple of uh, white hairs are creeping in on the beard now. Ah, oh, there's um, that where it's starting. Yeah, they're, they're starting to appear. Just a few around here, and I don't think I don't. You don't go. Um, I have a line in my show because you don't get like salt and pepper if you're ginger. Um, so I'm calling it salt and paprika. But essentially, it starts to look a bit blonde, which is which is weird. Yes. Um, it, you don't get the proper grey colour 
I, think. I like the way you're telling me Until as if wise. I don't know this. Of course, you're a 53-year-old ginger <laughs> person. <laughs> well, I'm learning it for the first time, and I'm, I'm very happy to mansplain that Please. to you. Yeah, and mine is completely <laughs> unassistedly, just still like this, miraculous. How is this? It's actually just, yeah. the same as it was when I was eight. Just what, good what, genes, well done. <laughs> well, my dad actually isn't very good. In fact, neither of my parents are very great, and they're much. They're obviously older than me. I was. About I'm to judging say. this based on my dad, who is sort of <laughs> who is who's gone from auburn to a sort of blonde blonde have you got so you've got uh, you had a i didn't have neither of my parents are ginger oh my dad's auburn so you mm. i don't think you'd peg him as a red yeah no i mean I, he doesn't look like me or or my sister we both have sort of red red hair so your sister um, has a look of of you as well does she lost viking yeah similar yeah one of the i think actually perhaps she's more your color she's we're not exactly the same coloring um i think i'm more coppery more coppery, more coppery than most. More coppery you're the than colour, ginger. You're the colour I show the hairdresser on the colour chart now that I'm having to dye my hair to be the colour my hair used you. to be. Just, just let me know, and if I'm not working, I'll just come there and I'll just sit as a reference. Or send me a look. Send me a look of your hair. Yeah, absolutely. None of my guests have ever done that, nor have I asked them to. But, yeah, you can do it and it won't be weird. I, no, there are no, no chivalry left in the world if people are not sending you locks of their hair to doing your podcast that's outrageous i was begging deborah meaden to send me a look of her hair and she was like no Kelly, that's just not it's not how you negotiate <laughs> it, it it did actually happen to me once um someone in the street stopped me and said um i'm, I'm sorry to stop you but um i really like the color of your hair and i want to get my hair dyed like that would you mind if i took a sample of your hair so i can show the hairdresser um and i said uh, that's obviously that's fine with me but um how are you, I can't give you, I just can't just give you my hair. And she said, no, no, don't worry. I've seen you around before and I've been carrying a small pair of scissors and a little bag. And so she snipped off a tiny bit of my hair and bobbed it in the bag and took it away. And it was only afterwards that I realized the, the enormous witchcraft potential that I had opened myself up to by giving her some of my hair. Yeah. I mean, you go, you go to witchcraft. I go to Uber stalker. What do you get the cloning, changed. Cl cloning yeah. stalking, witchcraft are the, the three main possibilities for having a little bit of my hair. Yeah. Well, send me uh, some and I'll see sure, how I do. I'm sure she just wanted it to be that colour. I've spent quite a bit of time at Stonehenge uh, during the solstice mm. because I grew up not far from there. So I might be a very good insider in that community. You could just you yeah, get, work your way into the witchcraft community. Yeah. It's funny, people looking at us would not think I'd be the one with a wizardry connection, but there you go. <laughs> Don't judge people by appearances. So, so, so I, I do look a bit wizardly, which is, I, I should have said an answer to your earlier question. Yes. I've got so, a beard and I've got like a sort of, I was, I used to describe it as a young Gandalf, but as a, the older I get, the less plausible the young part of that becomes. Youngish. Uh, Youngish, mature student Gandalf maybe is my age now. That's Agent actually quite a good line. I would use that. I might use that. Now that it's occurred to me now, make a little note of that. <laughs> Say it again note. later. Exactly. And so you're gonna because I get white. Um, I get white hairs. Just mine's gone a bit brown, really. Overall, it just looks lacklusterly, not very ginger. So, and then I've got. So it doesn't take much to reinvigorate it. But then I get the odd really vigorously white hair. And it's not even the colour I mind so much as the aggressively dog whisker stroke pube consistency. Yes. Now I do. I've got um, I've got one or two white hairs, but I have had them for years. I, I've had some, since childhood, I think. I've, had, I've always had one white hair um, and I still do. So I, I don't think the numbers from the crown are increasing rapidly, but 
you know, that, it, it's going that way. You can't and hold it's back. Not the decreasing. Tide. That's not the hair that woman was after. That specific white. That's hair. the specific white hair. <laughs> <laughs> just, just take the color white. No, you don't need that. <laughs> so you're going to go full white at some point. We will I see hope so. a wizardly, plan, wizardly yeah. version of you. I've already had to sort of um, start doing um, fewer jokes about looking like Jesus because I think people are, uh, at some point are going, "Didn't Jesus die at the age of 33? Um, well, not I'm, loads older. That you're still in. I'm your not 30s. loads. I'm still in my thirties, but maybe not for long enough to really invest in uh, in more material about looking like a thirty three year old. You might need to go more Billy Connolly. Yeah, I, th I think I'm just going to have to transition towards elderly wizard um, or um, Santa, maybe. Yeah. I go yeah. all white. I could do Santa. We're all yeah, and that's an extra little sideline if your book writing, podcasting, video animation, comedy businesses don't work out. Yeah, I'll just. Uh, just be a Santa instead. Just be Santa. Yeah, just go down Brent Cross and uh, have strange children sit on your knee. We might need to cut that bit uh, in case it gets used out of context. Probably edit that out, yeah. So you um, you and I have gigged together um, as many times as two gingers are allowed on a bill, which mm -hmm. isn't many times. We've it's done a couple of actual related. ginger gigs, haven't we? That ginger, I, whatever it was, ginger fest. Oh, yes. Yeah, red, red, red hair day festival, ginger yeah. fest. I don't think they call it ginger. I think there's a... There's a few people there. Most of us, I think, were there as, as a bit of fun and uh, we have a nice time. And a few people there because they take ginger ginger rights and freedoms extremely seriously. Yeah. They're quite humorless about the fact that actually we're quite persecuted and it's bullying and it's not acceptable. And, yeah. and you wouldn't do a racist joke, so why is it okay to make fun of gingers? And they don't all have that exact accent. But... And it was with those words you were rejected from the last ginger fest. <laughs> and they said, don't come back. Uh, you're ruining the vibes. Yeah, don't turn on your own. Mm. So we've done the ginger gigs, um, which we, because uh, I, I don't feel very persecuted. In fact, I feel quite celebratory of my hair colour. Well, that, to be you? fair, though, I think, and I, I, hope, I hope I'm not going to compound what I just said with sexism, but I think, I think redheaded women in general, people are like, oh, redheaded woman, so beautiful. Whereas uh, redheaded guys are like, oh, grotesque, golem-like freak, we hate you. I, th I think is that I not... think Harry I mean has done a bit Prince to rehabilitate the ginger I think or, everybody or was I th I'm not at the moment it's very hard to tell whether he's contributing or detracting from the cause well we should say we're recording this somewhere between the Netflix special and spare so I think if we'd done it right after the Netflix special <laughs> we would have said he's done an all right job but then yeah. after spare I suppose it's not but he definitely um you know he looks all right yeah yeah no no he's not yeah no he's he's, he's looking pretty good so no, it is. Um, as a child, I mean, you you grew up obviously uh, in a different decade to me. But as a child growing up in the seventies, um, being I was overweight and bespectacled, and ginger, and the child of teachers who taught at the school I went to. And mm. I think if there was a sort of Venn diagram approach to bullying, yeah, it's a perfect. Storm. That's pretty much it, isn't it? The intersection. Mm -hmm. But how was it for you as a as a because you grew up in the northeast, didn't you? I grew up in the northeast. Yes. Well, there are, well, there are a lot of redheads. Yes relatively speaking compared to other parts of the country but um it does that doesn't mean that it's le it's that, there, that there's less bullying i think uh, a, a huge amount i don't know i i really i have a lot of affection for the northeast now that i don't live there um and while i lived there i uh, didn't really enjoy some aspects of the provincial parochial attitudes that people have so just there's a lot of uh, a lot of bullying attached to the the smallest of deviations from the norm, or at least there were, at least that was the case when I was in school. That's the way I found it to be. 
you know, you could I couldn't walk around without people sort of yelling stuff out in the street at me for being ginger, which what is sort like of things. Ginger mainly the word okay, ginger. Okay, so not um, even creative heckles. No, there, there were no good heckles. Um, I, really, really bad heckling. In Did general. they not have mirrors in the northeast? Did they think maybe you just needed to know <laughs> that you were ginger? Yeah, it was just an inf information. Yeah, really, they just, just Tall, a public service. Really. White ginger. Yeah, male. Which is now my comedy bio <laughs> on my website. Tall white yeah. ginger male. Yeah, well, uh, let's not assume anything about bookings. anyone. Yeah, and then just my agent's email address afterwards for uh, for TV and broadcast. That's that's my bio. <laughs> so you got um, so you got ginger shouted at you, and I th yeah, it's interesting that sort of twenty years on, that ginger was still a thing because because uh, uh, I sort of yeah. assumed it might have got a bit better in the intervening couple of decades from when I, I was wonder... having fat ginger <sighs> shouted at me. Mm. Finger, well, yeah, fin finger. Mm. Mm. Well, I I wasn't. I wasn't fat, so um, I can't say whether that would have compounded. You just weren't things. trying hard enough, Alistair. No, I, I could. I'm, I'll make an effort. Um, I'll make an. I, what will I do? I'll go back in time and yeah. uh, become yeah. fatter, I suppose. Um, I I hope that it has got better now. I feel like I don't know. I feel like when I was in school, um, there was a, a like homophobic bullying was just just the the general background noise to to life, and I get the impression that the kids these days uh, are are, just, are less like that than we were. I don't they definitely know. are. I think kids I still so. they find a new way to be mean though. That so that those things, it, yeah, it's just new versions of. It. I think unfortunately, so, uh, the do they just of the tease flies. other kids for not being sufficiently intersectional? What happens? In exactly. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, and it's it, so there's it'll there'll be a, there'll be a way for kids to be mean to each other, won't there? And I just suppose, I suppose outsiders are always going to be, by the nature of the word, uh, treated as if they don't belong. Yeah. And were you? I know it's really it's, it's such a sort of obvious cliche to think that uh, we might all be in comedy because we feel like outsiders but in your case your whole demeanor persona is eccentric outsiders so that feels <laughs> whether care carefully cur curated or happened upon that does seem to be where you've landed is that fair that I, th I think so I don't think I um I, it, it wasn't a big issue for me at school the uh, you know not fitting in because i i think i was happy with it and um was determined not to join in so i, I and i i still still am like that you know when everybody's if everybody joins in on a sing-along or dancing or something um i ha i hate that and I, I hate the pressure to join in and do what everyone else is doing and i just sort of uh want to leave and so you've never put, I, walked past the silent disco in Edinburgh and thought, oh, if only oh, I wasn't oh, working. Oh, that looks like fun. No, uh, but, but I don't think I'm alone in walking past the silent <laughs> disco in Edinburgh and thinking, oh, whatever meteor were to strike. <laughs> I'm probably not the only person who, who finds that a little irritating <laughs> and not that fun. Um, so I, I, as far as I knew when I was a kid, I had a lot of friends and... Um, uh, and I was I was pretty happy, I think, um, I, I, but but happy with um, with standing out, like I wanted to and was happy to. I think, and that takes because because what you do on stage and all the many other things that you do that we'll talk about, you very much go in and 
are the comic you want to be so i don't imagine you dilute i'd like to be a bit funnier but, but um <laughs> i wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind people laughing now and again but uh, i am enjoying See, <laughs> yeah. the old abk the self-deprecation <laughs> you're gonna you know all the bookings you could be getting from this podcast that yeah work, sorry no i am now. i am funny i've got a solid 20 bookers who who listen to kelly's podcast solid <laughs> it's solid club 20 well you do me. have that's the thing is people might not assume you would have a solid club I do actually. I know. I'm really as surprised do. as anyone. I'm as surprised as anyone. I but do actually do. have. And whether that's because you you might have seen me doing like some some niche internet spoof or some some whimsical nonsense, but um, I I do think people sometimes assume that. But you can't do that on a Friday or a Saturday night. But you you can. Yeah, you, you do you whimsy. Know, you can. But- but you do about fifteen minutes of whimsy after five minutes of warming up the warming the ground for whimsy. Would you yes. say that's fair? With 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 with, with uh, self deprecating ginger jokes. Yeah, yeah. That's so seventy five percent whimsy. Five minutes of ginger jokes, fifteen minutes of whimsy. <laughs> yeah, done. But actually, that tape because your stuff kind of needs listening to, and I've not. I don't know. Yeah, we have. I mean, we've done some some. We've done you know properly commercially viable gigs together. Mm, so yep, I've seen you. I've seen what you're able to do in a variety of different rooms. But your stuff does kind of require someone listening. You're you do not, have to listen to the Yeah, you're not rolling out knob lines. gags every 10 seconds or indeed, no, indeed. at all. I, th- I, th- I have one joke um, in which a penis makes an appearance, um, but, that, but that's it. Even the way you say that is very civilised. <laughs> Thank you. It's the nicest way to describe such a joke I've ever heard. Well, I, 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 the thing about knob jokes is sort of a phrase that people use. It's sort of a... Uh, it's got a sort of totemic value, like uh, we're just going out doing knob jokes. I think in reality, most people don't do that many jokes about willies, I think. I think it's just me and John Bishop. <laughs> it's just you and John Bishop. You're the pioneers. Yeah. I think in general, the the, the um, I th- also, I think it's the idea of a joke about, I think people do jokes that involve penises, but I don't think... I don't think that many people want to hear jokes about, like guys, I think, get, start crossing their legs if you do jokes about penises. Um, and I think, so I think that's, that, that's a, in a weird way, I think it's a harder sell than we imagine it would be to See actually do a there? good joke about a Willie. It's not an intentional. You can't help yourself. I don't do double Just hilarious. I can only entendre. I can only do one at a time. I, I can do, do treble entendres. You can do tre- <laughs> treble entendre. Yeah, it's not a problem to me. Oh, dear. <laughs> and do you, in terms of the, the stuff you talk about is intelligence so you talk about you know William Blake or uh, even your opening thing about looking like um it's Paul the Apostle isn't it you talk about John the Baptist John the Baptist um, so yes. let's cut that so it's John uh, the Baptist you I, talk I, about I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I should know about Paul the Apostle because he's the one who has a Damascene moment and I'm always talking about Damascene moments so I course. should know the bloody difference um just thought I'd slip that in to redeem myself with a slight That's bit of very knowledge good. Uh, redemption so, is very um, important in Christianity because so. I'm meant to be intelligent on this so despite uh, what I, I'm presenting I, I have, right now I do have a joke about looking like John the Baptist, which again I, I don't do as much because John the Baptist also died in his early thirties, and the older I get, the less I look like John the Baptist. But you have to um, act that outright because people might mix him up for Paul the Apostle, for example. example. People, an, a fool, yeah, an, an awful, ignorant person <laughs> might make a mistake and be confused, confusing with one of the other characters from the New Testament. I think, I think that. Um, uh, for the benefit of people listening, trying to understand how you can do a joke about John the Baptist, um, I, I do a mime where I act out uh, the famous painting of John the, Bed, John the Baptist's head being presented on a platter to Salome. 
which sounds like an abstruse, obscure, highfalutin reference. But when you see it, you immediately go, oh, yeah, it's that thing. I've seen that. And that and, and that's the laugh, I think. So the fun of the joke is the audience goes, I'm not sure I get this reference. And then I do the thing and they go, I do get reference. We're all having fun. And so it's it's not a, a obscure joke, an obscure niche joke for uh, just a, a few uh, mustache twiddling people. It's It's a broadly accessible joke. And that's the fun of it for me, I think. So you can do it in venues outside Hackney, which is good. You can, yeah. You don't. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be some hipster, you know, designer yogurt shop. It can be anywhere. And do you, one of the things um, that I really love about your material is I come away feeling like I'm quite clever because I get the stuff you've talked about, which is clever, and you have clever reference points. But if I think about it a bit more, you do make it's all very accessible, right? So you're, everyone's yes. going to come away feeling quite clever because they get it because you help them join the dots. Yeah. So it's a win-win situation because the audience feel clever and they think I'm clever. When in reality, most of the punchlines I have are extremely silly, but it seems clever. And so we're all having fun. So you mentioned I have a bit about William Blake. Uh, I read some of William Blake's aphorisms um, and interspersed among his aphorisms, which I, you know, are, are quite poetical and because um, uh, they're poetry and uh, very thought-provoking. I have things that I've written which are extremely stupid. And so that seems like a, a clever bit. And people come up going, oh, some highbrow comedy, some literate comedy. But actually, it's just me saying um, serious thing, serious thing, stupid thing, serious thing, serious thing, stupid thing, serious thing, stupid thing, serious thing, stupid thing, which is not a particularly sophisticated structure. No, the clever bit is being provided by a very clever... Yeah, I didn't even do the clever man. bit there. I did the stupid bit. And yet I get the credit for doing clever comedy. So would you do, would you stand up? I know um, there is, you know, in, in a sort of jongler's equivalent club. So a rowdy chicken and chicken in a basket stag do kind of a Friday night mm -hmm. and read William Blake. Yes, not always, though, I have to admit. So um, so I'll, I'll always have that with me uh, in that kind of gig. But there are, there are ones where I think I'm not going to get to it. So I'm you have it in your pocket. Uh, yeah, I've got it in my pocket. But you don't but get it most, out. most of the time I'll do it. And most of the time I'll do it in a, in, a, in a rowdy, staggy context. It'll work and people will be quiet during the serious bits because they know you need to be quiet during those bits to hear what's going to happen. And and if that happens, if everyone, if the, the formerly rowdy gig quietens down for those bits and then laughs at the punchlines, then I sort of do a little fist pump of, yes, that I, I, I got them on my wavelength. I won't say that always happens. Like sometimes I go, no, there's no way I can bring out a little booklet and uh, try and get these people to listen to what I'm going to tell them is going to be poetry. So I just chicken out and don't do it. And very occasionally I do it. And I think they weren't ready for it. You know, I, I, they weren't warm enough. That didn't work. But most of the time it works. Most of the time I do do it. And most of the time it's, uh, it's a high point, even with, like you say, a, a, a staggy, henny sort of, when you said chicken in a basket, I imagined a live chicken until I realised the things you were describing food. Like, I, I was talking about medieval sort of cockfight yeah, environment. Yeah, exactly, so. like it was like a cart, a medieval cart with <laughs> like chickens in a basket. I look as if I'm uh, from a medieval village, but I'm not actually Kelly. I do gigs in actual cities. <laughs> I, actually, I gig in the present day. That's, that is amazing. Well, that's, that's going to be the headline when we promote this. Namaste, motherfuckers. Talking of, um, of your sort of time travel -y vibe 
your anyone who hasn't seen it will put links to all of this but your interdimensional abk animation and i'm very fascinated by this because i've worked in um animation a lot of my life in terms of channels who mtv or the old animation there and i worked at the children's channel in the in the 80s where we were rerunning sort of thundercats and he-man and all that stuff and the quality of that animation well first of all tell tell people how you how you came up with it because you really had to commit to that as an idea right you didn't knock that out in a weekend yeah i did commit to it it took far too long um although it's it sort of worked out because I'm, I'm touring that show it's quite an old show now um but i'm doing my first tour this year so i thought instead of touring a recent show i'm going to bring that one back in order to in order to get people to finally see it because i you know I, I i put so much time and effort into it um, and the premise of the show is that I come from another dimension and it's just a stand-up show, but that's, a, that is loosely the premise of the show. And then I just do jokes for, um, 55 minutes or something. Um, but I did, I did, a, a, a an animated intro, as you say, in the style of, uh, Thundercats, I, it was a slight miscalculation in some ways, because the animation in Thundercats was really, really cheap and full of shortcuts. But the title sequences were incredibly well animated and lasted really ages. They were like three minutes long so that they could, you know, it's just an economy on their part, which is the episodes will be short and rubbish, but the title sequences are going to be absolutely glorious. And I made the mistake of spoofing the bit that's really, really well animated and animated by, you know, like really skilled Japanese animators in the, in the 80s. And so, so I had to basically sort of frame by frame go through Thundercats and work out how the how the the they achieved the effects that they achieved the flashes of light the kapows and the sort of the flips and all of that sort of thing um, and as authentically as I can I did use a computer rather than inking cells and painting things like they would have have done but as authentically as I could I I animated it in that style and I I think I like I'm a fan of the accurate pastiche that sort of the pastiche that that really looks at how something was made and tries to replicate that in order to, to sort of parody it or spoof it. But I also think that um, committing to something that is pointless is, is funny, you know, like for comedy, like if you have an idea, you can't just sort of go out and say, hey, does this sound like a good idea? You've got to just commit completely to it and hope that it turns out to be a good idea. Because like, I can't, you can't ask an audience if they would like something like that. You have to show them it. But it's a real, um, and by the way, for somebody who looks like a hippie, great plug for the tour. Well played, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that was really subtle. Very seamless. It's, that's one thing when you're trying, so with a, whatever a normal Edinburgh show is, you're committing to an idea, your idea changes a hundred times along the way. You're doing work in progress shows where loads of stuff will end up, you know, never spoken again on stage, but creating a kind of and how long is the anim, how long is the animation it's only it's only about a minute long but it's a minute of traditional 2d uh, animation meaning i've each almost every every second frame is a new drawing so yeah. that's so, quite mean, a lot of drawings it's a hell of a lot of drawing i mean yeah a minute of high quality animation is is quite an art it's a yeah. lot of work for someone who isn't mainly an animator to produce so how many hours do you think you put into it i don't i don't know it took me it, it i i i it, it I made it over a period of about six months. Okay, so we're talking months solid. and months of work. Uh, but no, I, you sure. know, I, I would do a little bit here and there, and you know, I was doing it around all the other things I do. But it, it took me ages to do um, because I would, you know, just stealing little moments to work on it. 
um, and like, when you, like was Yuri it always, Nordstein. <laughs> and was it always designed to fit where it fitted in the in the show? Was it always designed to be the sort of linchpin of the show? It, it, well, it's, yeah, so it's the opening of the show, which uh, I now think... Uh, was it having... always going to be the opening? Because that's a hard act to follow, to follow yeah, yourself. Yeah, huge, huge mistake. Well spotted, Kelly. Should yeah. have talked to you about this before I <laughs> I'm a great did director. That. That's yeah, probably the yeah. best talent I have as a comedian, to direct other um, people. I, I believe that because you've instantly hit upon a, a major issue with it, um, which which works out fine. But yeah, if I were going to do something again like that, you know, like a big musical number type of a thing, whereas, look, I've put so much effort into this, uh, please clap and like me. Um, which I think is the essential message of most Edinburgh shows, isn't it? Most comedy shows For are sure. like, please yeah. clap and, and like me. Especially if you're my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would put it at the end as a yes. sort of a, look, uh, and here's the culmination of all of this. Uh, but this is an intro, and those those theme tunes were intros, so I did it as an intro. And I was, I was workshopping the show, and uh, your listeners, I'm sure, are aware because you must have talked about it. Um, like you say, you go out and you you do good jokes and you do bad jokes and it changes and it changes and it changes. And the work in progresses were going quite well. And then I finished this or I had like a half mostly finished version of it ready. And as soon as I dropped that into the work in progress show, uh, the they fell fell off a cliff in terms of how well they went because it was so polished. It, it created an enormous contrast between the intro and then me shuffling on with two sheets of A4 saying, well, okay, I haven't quite worked all of this out, uh, bear with me. And so it, it worked out because it, I realized that that was, uh, that was killing the vibe. That was, you know, that was the, it created a huge momentum and then I ruined it by not having finished the show. So I had to work really, really hard to make the, sh- to make the show after the video seem like it it came out of the video if you know what i mean to make it seem like oh, this is this is all as as polished and energetic and well thought through as what you just saw in the in the pre-recorded segment and how do you do that then apart from obviously a banging opener once you're actually on stage well I, I me- it meant that i just had to work hard on how i presented it so i couldn't get away with being like oh it's a work in progress you know forgive me we're all just having you know that sort of loosey-goosey which is which fine is what we, and has that's its what place. we rely on for at least eight absolutely months of the year. but um but after after the video was in i had to be like oh no okay even though i know this has got the weak bits i've got to go out there and sort of try and sell it coherently as a show now because the video doesn't allow me to just fumble about and say, oh, you didn't laugh. Would it have been funnier if I said um, trousers instead of postbox or all the things you might do at a a whip? So does that make you, did that make you up your game? Because I guess we'd all want to go out and do a work in progress show that didn't (laughs) seem shit. That's what you're basically saying. Suddenly I realised we're not meant to be shit all the time. I know, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? What a revelation. Um, But how do you, I mean, I would have Yes, I think it made me up my game. And how do you... This would have been in about... Uh, in May or June, I suppose. So it's about the time where you ought to start upping your game if you're going to do a, uh, you're going to try and sell thirty shows in August. But how so it do worked you do out, that? But it was tough for a couple of. How did how do I do? I I don't I don't know. I I just I never quite know how the creative process works. I don't know about you. I don't. Do you sit down and um, with a, with an empty word document and uh, no. It's on my phone, on notes, yeah. and then I MC quite a lot, mm-hmm. and then it becomes material, usually in the car on the way home from a gig. I'll be like, ah, that's yes. the way. It's so, a train for me, but it's the same. On the yeah. way home for a gig, we're going like, that would have been funny. The sort of yes. 
l'esprit d'escalier where you're going like, oh yeah, now I can think of a joke. Yes. Yes. So that so I'm the same, which either means we're um, a couple of uh, genius comedy writers, or we're lazy. Yeah, yeah, yes. Let's go Probably for the, the genius one. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I the same same for me. So I wouldn't know how to suddenly. Well, I suppose there are different ways to up your game, aren't there? And I, but I wouldn't know how to then suddenly just go off and sit and write better stuff. No, it's. I, but I think it's about the presenting it because, like, um, I think about, um, you know, they say that well, like when Chris Rock or, or I, I think it's him, but other like really massive comedians when they when they try new material, they just come out and sort of read it deadpan off a piece of paper because if you know if Chris Rock comes out and puts the Chris Rock magic on the new material, he'll get the crowd going and he won't get a true response. So he comes out and he just says, you know, when it's when it's brand new, just reads it really flat. Um, and so my strategy is like the opposite of that, which is like I this is no matter how whatever I think of the material, I've got to go out there and try and make it as funny as possible. You know, just just try to have confidence in the idea and commit to it um, as much as I can. And I, I fail at that aspiration all the time, but try to try to form it coherently, right? You know, because sometimes when you've got notes, you'll just like, oh, and I'll just fudge that that link there. And I'll just be like, oh, now something else. And that's fine. But um, but spending a bit of time on working out how I'm getting from there to there so it feels like it's got a coherent flow, even when it's a work in progress, I think is what I had to do just so that I I felt confident in presenting it as if it were going to be funny, which I suppose gives the unfinished jokes the best chance. Well, that's a very American comedian way to do it. Chris rocks aside when they're doing new material, but I, I gigged a lot in New York my first two years doing oh, comedy. Yeah. And my God, they've got the stagecraft and the swagger, but usually not. So I'd watch people go on and be like, oh, Jesus, this person must be amazing. You know, open mic nights. But that was it. Everything they did was in the style of somebody mm. playing stadiums, but they didn't actually have <laughs> the material. And actually, your um, your YouTube videos, you've got a YouTube channel with close to 300,000 subscribers. And hopefully after this, you know, 300,003. Yes, and, oh, more, please. <laughs> yeah. And one of the, you've got um, things like every single Scandinavian crime drama, every episode of a popular time travel show and many more things beside and your, and your um, interdimensional ABKs on there. But one I was watching uh, when I was uh, looking through stuff with over a sandwich before I spoke to you today was um, every edgy millionaire, oh, which yeah. actually is quite like what you just, because you do manage to sell. Well, to tell, yeah. So that's, I think, is it every edgy millionaire comedian or is it? Yeah, I can't every edgy it. millionaire comedian. So the key bit is I'm not, I'm, and I'm not aiming at um, any particular edgy millionaire comedian. And people in the comments insist that this is exactly this person. And it's it's not, uh, you know, because I can't do any of the accents. Um, uh, but all I think the whole premise of it is, is just that uh, it's the serious interview with the black and white truth telling comedian who's like, what we do is so dangerous. We're on the front lines of free speech intercut with what comedians actually do, which is just try and make people laugh by whatever means are available. So the routine he's doing is about getting a trash can stuck on his ass, uh, but it's intercut with him sort of talking about it as if it's really profound and, and important. But what is interesting, as well as how well you are able, I mean, you are the, the you know, the Viking of pastiche and <laughs> you're very able to, I mean, it is an absolute. You, you wouldn't be afraid if the Viking of pastiche were invading your village. So, oh, no, actually, let's just see how this plays out. <laughs> I'd sit down with my chicken in a basket and see what gives. <laughs> That's what I would do. But with 
one of the things I thought what is you did it's so obviously it is a parody and it's so different to you on stage but the the way that's put together does make you realize you could be forgiven for seeing some of that if you thought this is some massive name I've not come across before and the way you land the material and the canned laughter I was like I'm actually quite in I'm quite invested in the yeah, trash a, a can. number of people really enjoy the trash can routine and ironically <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is the best stuff you've ever done <laughs> don't waste it in pastiche um yeah it is quite I th- uh, but uh, but I think I, part of the uh, part of the reason for that is I, that that one. Um, uh, I don't know if it's one of my more popular ones, but because it perhaps has an element of controversy, like you can agree or disagree with it. You like you might you, like some people. Uh, someone unfollowed me because they thought I wasn't taking cancel culture seriously enough, um, which is like, is that not cancelling? But anyway, um, it's their choice. But I I think the. Some people were saying like, oh, you should have made the stand-up like really offensive and sexist and racist. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that. No, because that's what clips are um, that can that then get clipped very... and put somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be very funny. But so like it's, it's, it, I, 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 the other thing is that I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that these people aren't good at being comedians. Like, obviously I'm making fun of, I'm making fun of them. But like I wanted to do the, I wanted to make the stand up as much like a real bit as I could. Like I'm not saying that they're not funny. I'm making fun of the pomposity of pretending that stand up comedy is terribly important and dangerous, when the reality of it is that it's not. We're just trying to entertain people for the most part. But when there's when the um, pastiche comedy gives your comedy a run for your money, you know, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's but it was for me. It was lovely watching you do that because it's so completely not the way you would ever be doing anything that we would see in in a live environment but the i didn't know you'd gone to um i was thinking how how do you do all this stuff because you're when you we, we met at a gig um just possibly between lockdowns and i was like how's it going are you feeling really soul destroyed by lack of sort of creative output and then then you were like oh well, i'm managing to do some videos that people think are okay i was like oh what and i looked them up i was like bloody hell these are incredible and, and is that so your film is this is this film school you finally getting his outing or how i don't think most of us would come up with the ideas but we definitely wouldn't come up with the execution and the production values yeah i had a bit of an uh, uh, an easy lockdown compared to a lot of people so i feel very lucky about that in as much as um lockdown happened and a lot of people realized well if i'm going to keep create you know uh, with, aside from all of the horrors of, uh, of of death and disease and uh, and uh, political machinations people were like, oh, comedians were starved of a, an outlet for for their work um, and I sort of had a head start, so everybody had to be like, oh, I need to buy a camera and start working out how a green screen works. Uh, but I already knew. So I, you know, I, I went to film school and I, um, I taught myself lots of uh, filmmaking uh, or, or a- animation techniques and uh, VFX and that sort of thing uh, years ago. And I'd been doing that in the background for years and, you know, doing that as sort of a, a side hustle while doing comedy for a very long time. So when uh, when we were all stuck in our uh tiny little flats and uh and houses uh i had like a a whole tool set of things i already knew how to do in my back pocket that i could just sort of whip out and i was already making little videos before lockdown started it's just nobody was watching them and suddenly there was a captive audience with nothing to do but sit on social media uh so it really worked out quite nicely for me i have to say and is it on the back of, as I say, we'll put a link to all of this because it, the, I, your your um, 
Nordic Noir one is fantastic and just sort of beautifully lit and produced. And is it on the, I was talking to Mark Simmons when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and for him, it's been completely transformational that he's got such an online following for his yeah. one-liners. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, Mark's technique is writing really good jokes, which I suppose is fine if you want to do that. Yeah. But, um, nah. Nah. old school you know yeah, but bit, horses uh, for courses it's a bit trad isn't it punchlines I, I, I think know. so Do people really want that yeah yes. prolific yes, output of amazing jokes yeah whatever <laughs> nah. I mean I suppose I, I could do that but I'm not I don't want to but no we got other stuff to do just quite is, busy um, <laughs> is noticing it... things about being ginger that's, that's <laughs> exactly. too much and of my making time. whole podcast episodes about that topic yeah. but is it so that transformed that skyrocketed Mark from being a great club comic to being able to sell out um, a decent sort of tour and I'm assuming it has had a similar impact. I mean, you also, let's be honest, you've also done Mock the Week. You've done quite, a, you're not just a sort of off to the side doing your own thing comic. You're True, in although, the although um, you know, doing Mock the Week and other things have, uh, I don't know whether going viral a couple of times has, has was a factor in that, but I would be shocked if it weren't mm-hmm. because I, you know, I didn't... Uh, I, I I didn't get better as a stand-up comedian during lockdown because I wasn't doing it, but I did get more opportunities after lockdown um, as a stand-up comedian. And I think it's got to be because of the the social media output, which I think is similar to, but not exactly stand-up. Well, it's very reassuring if the gatekeeper is is moved to be what talent emerges because people love watching and listening to it as opposed to what talent people who curate channels think people would like to watch. I, so that's quite a right. nice thing if that is the way you got onto those shows. I, I would be very happy with that. However, I do, I, I think, um, I, I don't want to be serious, but I, I think we make a mistake when we, when we sort of imagine that social media, um, and I include YouTube in that, is sort of unmediated because like you and I know if you want to get something on the TV or radio there's so many hoops you have to jump through and the likelihood of, a, of your precious idea making it to broadcast um, at all never mind unchanged is so so small uh, whereas with social media there's there's very little but there is the, the thing that I think we forget about is that there's the algorithm and the algorithm is the thing that decides whether people get to see it and the algorithm, just like the commissioners on uh, TV and radio, isn't neutral. And um, so, and you can't I buy the algorithm a drink. You can't. You can't even schmooze the algorithm. No, yeah. they don't. They don't drink at that pub near and broadcasting house. Not at any house. members' clubs I've ever been no. to. <laughs> no, you can't just go to the Groucho Club and uh, and talk to the algorithm. But also, like the algorithm likes controversy and. Um, you know, I mentioned that that, that video um, spoofing edgy comedians did particularly well. And uh, and I think that's because, like, people got into little fights in the comments, and the algorithm absolutely loves that. Whereas, um, like, a, if you come up with a joke in a comedy club that causes a fight in the audience, that's a disaster. Like, you, you don't want to have divisive jokes as a stand-up comedian for them. I don't mean to say that you want to play it safe, but in general, you, you want to make as many people laugh as possible Otherwise, people will be upset. If, like, if you only make half the room laugh, that the promoter and you would regard that as a flop. Although I'm, a- I'm a hop and a skip off engendering fights and clubs as never see in order to go viral. <laughs> but yeah, if you say so. Uh, but whereas if you do a joke on Twitter and half the people who who hear it hate it, um, they retweeted to say, "Look at this awful joke yes, by absolutely. this bigot or whatever it is." 
and so I so I think if we shouldn't forget that there are there are gatekeepers with weird and mysterious agendas even in the world of social media. Yeah, no, that's very. I'm I'm relatively new to TikTok, and I absolutely am baffled by the things that are generating enormous numbers of views and the other things where no one cares. And exactly. and what I have definitely learned is do not assume that you're going to put someone on TikTok and have any clue as to how that's going to do. Yeah, uh, and yes, you, and I think you can. People do absolutely learn to game the algorithms, but I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if comedy works like that because of because of the element of sort of surprise or um, uh, you know the the element of the unexpected. I'm not sure you can work out the formula for I th- yeah. I think you can give yourself a best chance with what time of day hashtags. Yeah. How you, you can you can give it you can you can at least get onto the radar of the algorithm, but the algorithm but, may just brush you to the side. Yeah, but I mean my my biggest. Uh, video hit was the spoof of Scandi Noirs and people will still message me and say when are you going to do another one and the answer is never because I have done it yeah. like why I and I understand that you can I could do a couple of more and I'd probably get some views but I'm not going to replicate the success of the first one so it's like would well, you want another somewhat less good version of the same joke that won't do as well it's like 40 towers quit while you're ahead Yes, my my forty hours was a twenty nine second long video. Listen, each to their own. <laughs> um, before I ask you the three questions that I ask everyone, Alistair, we should definitely mention your book, which I is coming one. out this week, isn't it? Have I got no. I thought I might have one. It, um, it, no, I don't have one within reaching distance. If um, you did, I'd think you'd gone full media trained wanker. Um, can I go so, and get uh, one from a shelf? Can I be a, <laughs> yeah, get one, a get slick one. bastard? Get and go one because then one. we will uh, use a still. Hello, podcast pedants. It's producer Mike here with another handy clarification. So at this point, Alistair wanders off to get one of his books. He'll be back in a sec. So tell me about becoming a children's author. You just want to be Laura Lex, don't you? You followed her yeah, to Mock the Week and now into being an author. Sneak, sneaked on in, in her wake, yeah, sneaking yeah. in behind Laura, yes. um, just having the crumbs off her plate. Good um, person to follow. Uh, so the premise of the book is that Bonnie Montgomery is a 10-year-old girl who has a gift for solving crimes, but kids basically aren't allowed to solve murders. I don't know if you are aware of that, because it's like, murder is frowned upon in our society so what she does is uh, assisted by her grandpa banks she puts on a dusty old raincoat and a beret and a big false mustache and bonnie montgomery becomes montgomery bonbon the mysterious poirot-esque foreign detective with a really vague accent because she can't nail the, the accents all the time uh, an extremely meandering sort of sort of french kind of german accent that, that goes all over the places uh, that goes all over the place and um yeah so it's a so it's a, a funny whodunit uh there is there is a murder in it as an actual murder so it's a it's a proper murder mystery um but uh i i hope that kids will enjoy it the the scary thing about writing a kid's book compared to stand-up you, you, we're stand-up comedians so you know that you get to check at the end of every sentence whether people are enjoying it um and that's not the case with a book all the the writers i've spoken to have said that but particularly stand-ups when i talk to laura about it's it's like i'm on commission for laura's books but laura said that's the weirdest thing and then it's finished like it's not like a you know even your tour show you'll be tweaking bits and if something could be a tiny bit tighter you'll make it tighter with a book at a certain point there it is and can never be unsaid 
Yes, it's it's very and with a kids book, it's even more like that because the the actual audience are are sort of removed by several steps. Like maybe a parent buys it, or maybe a you know a school school librarian buys it and puts it in the library, but only after that does it actually reach the the people who I've written it for. And I'm never going to find out what they think for the most part because I don't they're they're someone else's kids. Yeah, and you can't go hanging hard. around schools and stuff. Alice, I can't I don't just, want to I break can't just it lean in at the fence saying, did you enjoy the humorous subplot? No, no, not unless you want to write your next one from prison. No, not with not with this look. No, definitely not with that work. Can't go lurking out near the bins. <laughs> absolutely not. Well, if I was still working in children's television, I would be absolutely making sure this became uh, televised. But it's it's a re- well, it's it's it looks absolutely lovely. I'm going to get it for my uh, my little nine year old, uh, not child Herbie, but who is part of the family unit, and I will give you feedback via him. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I look forward unless unless uh, crucially unless he doesn't like it in which case I don't I don't want to hear about it in which case I'll get him to leave you a voice note because he's very eloquent he'll tell you exactly (laughs) he'll give you notes don't you worry about that his mum's an English teacher (laughs) and so is mine actually in fact between in my family you can get all the generational feedback about a children's book whether you want it or you don't well my dad my dad was also an English teacher but he's retired now so should be safe Oh, I don't think I don't think they just retire and forget how to critique a book, Alistair. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I think the thing you've done here, Al, is you yeah. haven't you haven't you haven't established the the, the scenario. <laughs> exactly. That's how my dad sounds. <laughs> it's like us retiring and thinking we won't still be funny. I mean, as if. Namaste, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> so, what would you pick, Alistair, as your namaste, motherfucking life-changing moment? Okay. Um, I don't know if this is going to endear me to the listener, but I was thinking about this. I think uh, I think a, a big moment for me in, in my personal development was um, I stopped being interested in like the skeptic new atheist movement at the, pretty much the exact moment that the skeptic new atheist movement went completely nuts and became totally insufferable. Although it might just be that they were always insufferable and I I I lost interest at the moment that I noticed because I don't know I don't know if this is your scene but I, um you're probably aware that whenever there's a sort of a nerdy clique or or club at some point at some point what happens is somebody asks the question uh excuse me fellow members of the very special geniuses club why are there no girls here and the answer is people never go, oh, probably no, something to do with the general vibe of the place or the smell. They go, no, it's because the girls are wrong and just maybe not as clever and prefer shopping to being right on the internet all the time. And that, as, as that started to happen, um, I, 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 I realized that the, uh, the, the, um, the desire to be right absolutely all of the time, though it is in me, is not uh is not as good as uh as i thought it was and so now i can walk past uh, a grocer's shop with a misused apostrophe and say absolutely nothing about it i will notice but i will not smugly and loudly correct the sign anymore because i'm a better person i hope i love that and what is your favorite joke i i think that I think it's the kind of joke that I can't write, which is like the funniest thing there is, is an in joke. 
if you know what I mean, rather than an actual joke, uh, f- like a you had to be there between friends joke. I remember when I was on a shoot at film school, one of my film school pals um, called Stephanie was American. And she asked if uh, uh, a fellow student of ours, whose name was Merv, she asked, is Merv short for Merville? Which at the moment, and is it short for Merville? Was the, was the funniest thing that has ever happened. Now, I can't explain to you why it was so funny. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't eat. We were eating. We were eating at the time. I could, it, it was, it, it, it killed me for a week, that, that. And I, can, I can't tell you why. I can never recreate it. It's, it's, if, if you could work out how to do that in stand-up comedy, you'd, you'd be sorted, I think. I reckon that absurdist bit of you was always there, though, always Maybe. alive and well. Yeah. I think sometimes you do laugh as you've never laughed. I, I look back at I do occasionally do it now. But as a sort of child and teenager, the absolute falling about, that's one of the things I love about, I, I don't know whether you watch Gogglebox, but one of the things I most love is the absolute pissing themselves together about whatever's going on. And I just think, how often do we laugh till it hurts? Yes. Certainly not on my gigs. Uh, <laughs> never, never, never happens. Everyone is pretty much unscathed afterwards. <laughs> Well, nice I time. tend to make people just reflect on things and life choices <laughs> and then yeah, yeah go yeah. home and, and really preserve their marriages in the hope that they won't end up like me. <laughs> we might have to cut that. That's too sad. And uh, <laughs> if you could give one bit of life advice to anybody listening, Alistair, what would it be? Well, my I think I'm stealing this from Walter Murch, the, uh, the editor and uh, film director of uh, Return to Oz. I think you might be the wrong age to have grown up with Return to Oz, Um, but it was a a very weird, very scary kids film from 1985. Um, uh, My advice is, I think that that pretty much all advice is correct and at the same time kind of useless. Feedback, uh, I'll, I'll try and explain what I mean. When someone gives you feedback on something, when someone says, um, no, that, this, this is wrong, I think, here's what you should do. The, the here's what you should do is almost always useless. You know, if like, if I give you notes on a show saying, oh, well, maybe if you, if it were about this instead of that, that's almost always useless advice. But the, the, the observation that something felt wrong at this point is, is probably pointing towards something that's true, if that makes sense. That was Alistair Beckett King. We've put links to his book, his YouTube stuff and his tour dates in today's show notes. So do check that all out. And that is it for this week. Thank you so, so much for listening. Please do keep rating, reviewing and recommending us. We do so love those kind words and shiny stars that you give us, especially when there are five of them twinkling back at us across cyberspace. And we will be back in your feed next Thursday, as always, when I will be talking to another Alistair. This time, it's the wonderful Alistair McGowan. You said, well, you've got this great skill as an impressionist, yet you're not showing it. People will tune in expecting you to be doing that. Namaste, motherfuckers, was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, 
motherfuckers. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.